Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. I'm your host, Holly Rustic, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. All right, guys, so we are on episode 122 today. Yes, 122nd episode. And I am so excited to have my dear friend on the show, Jenny Hargrove. And Jenny is amazing. We actually found each other. I found her on Instagram using hashtags um, before I went to Nashville. And we've just connected ever since then. We were able to connect and have coffee in Nashville and just to really get to know each other and what we do. So we, we basically, you know, we're definitely in the same industry. Her whole business is Nonprofit Jenny, so she really does work with nonprofits, and she's into marketing, though. So, of course, you know, I kind of, like, settle in grants um, and nonprofit strategic planning, and she really settles into the space of marketing um, and just doing capacity building for nonprofits. She's absolutely amazing, and she also has her own podcast, Nonprofit Jenny, that's J-E-N-N-I. So, if you want to check out her podcast, it's fantastic absolutely lovely um it's a great podcast to check out too to see what's happening in the nonprofit world also she is giving a 15 percent discount code to all of you guys for her two mini courses so please do check out grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 122 to get that discount code and to see more about jenny and different links that um show you to where her podcast is and all of that great stuff so once again grantwritingandfunding.com dot com forward slash one two two. All right, guys, so just to introduce you a little bit more to Jenny, she is a charitable marketing coach and hosts a podcast for nonprofit leaders called, once again, The Nonprofit Jenny Show. With a background in market research and corporate philanthropy, Jenny loves training nonprofit leaders and best practices for building a robust marketing and fundraising strategy. So Jenny is going to be talking about what foundations are looking for when they want to fund your nonprofit. She's definitely been on that side of the fence, so she's going to give you behind the scenes. And then she's going to go into search engine optimization. And you're like, what is that? (laughs) So that's basically how you get your website to pop up on the first page of Google. Yes, that is where you want your website to be. So you can go ahead and attract donors. You can attract just people to look at your nonprofit to see what's going on with it. Oftentimes, even if you put the name of your nonprofit in a search engine like as Google, it might pop up for you on the front page, but it's not popping up for everybody else. So she's going to show you how you can make sure that you know where your nonprofit falls when other people are looking at it. So really, really good. And also give you skills and details on how you can actually elevate your nonprofit to be on that first page of Google. So really great tips today. And then finally, she's going to talk about online auctions. Yes, this could be a great additional revenue stream for you guys right now who are like, you know, usually we're doing our in-person galas right now, our in-person fundraisers, and we just can't do that right now because of the pandemic. So she's going to give you skills, very easy step-by-step process so you can do a silent online auction and she's going to show you how that can be done. Very easy, very passive income on the side that even your interns or volunteers could completely run right now. So this is a fantastic episode. 
full of great things for your nonprofit to succeed, or if you're working with nonprofit, ideas on how you can support nonprofits during this time. All right, without further ado, here is Jenny Hargrove. Hello, everyone out there in grant writing and funding world. I'm Holly Rustic, and I'm your host of Grant Writing and Funding, the podcast. And I have on the show today a very special guest and friend, Jenny Hargrove of the nonprofit Jenny Show. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Holly. It was so fun to have you on my show, and I love getting to like trade spaces. I know. It's so much fun. Yeah. So if you guys have not checked out her podcast, it's fantastic. And not just because I was featured on it last week, <laughs> but no, it's a great <laughs> show. I love it. You really, you know, you get really, you have a lot of different people on your show and talking about all things nonprofit and just, it's amazing how in depth you go, but at the same time, like it's not super long episodes. So it's very easy to dive Yeah. In. Yeah, so it's it's a really, really awesome show. So yeah, Thank and then Jenny's so on the show today. And we've actually have another one we recorded quite a while ago that'll be coming out later too. So she actually has been on the show before, but you just haven't heard her yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> We're going to like time warp it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So um, but Jenny and I, we met actually in Nashville, and so we were able to have coffee together, which is fantastic, because a lot of times I meet amazing people like Jenny, like yourself, and, but it's all virtual. You know, we live in this virtual world, and I live so far away from the, um, from the States, so it's like interesting to actually be able to meet people in person and connect. So, um, you know, something we're all going to be anxious to do soon, you know, in our, in our new uh, normal. But um, yeah, yeah. It's, but still, like, this is amazing that we can still connect and continue our relationship and our friendship and, you know, just have conversations and be like, hey, what are you doing with your course? Hey, you know, do you want to add this to it? Or what, you know, can you give me some feedback on what this would look like? Because we have different skill sets, but in the same space. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's been super fun connecting with you, Holly. I love because like grant writing is one thing I never touch. So it's fun having you to like bounce ideas off of and like send people to you when they have grant writing questions that I just like can't can't touch. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And the same with you. So your background, I would love for you to talk about your background a little bit because you come from corporate yeah. and you come from mm -hmm. branding, marketing, like total corporate. So please, yeah, touch on, on your background a little bit and what got you interested in working with nonprofits. Yeah. Well, so I went to school for marketing and, and I initially went into market research and that is so fun for me. Like I'm such a numbers nerd and I loved getting to because I, I don't feel like I'm super creative. And so I love being part of marketing because it is so fun and creative, but being able to apply numbers to that creativity makes me feel like it's a safe space. So like, <laughs> I feel like ever since I did market research, I feel like I've been able to be more creative with the marketing, like the visual side. So after that, I went into a job working with a national corporation where I was in charge of their philanthropy efforts. And, um, and that job was definitely rewarding in a way because I was being I, I was being given the responsibility of distributing these funds to worthy causes. But something that really bothered me about it was I would have nonprofits come and ask me for money and I would have to turn them away because they weren't ready for that money yet. Like they didn't have the infrastructure in place to create a sustainable program or cover their overhead or whatever 
even with the funds I could give them. Mm. And so that hurt me because I would see people leave who I felt like I could help. And so I started doing some consulting on the side where I would go to nonprofits like that who weren't in a place where they could accept corporate grants and help them to, you know, get a better internal infrastructure, better leadership, better board development, and just a better marketing and fundraising strategy overall. And then they could go and make the ask again and get the yes. So that ended up being a lot more fulfilling to me than just kind of distributing funds. And so I quit that corporate job to become a consultant full-time. And so now I host the podcast that you talked about and do coaching and consulting for nonprofit leaders who want to create fundraising and marketing strategies. And then I also create courses. So like sometimes you don't want to talk to a person, you are an introvert and you want your alone time and you just want to like DIY it. So I have some courses for that as well. That's awesome. And I love that, that transition as far as like, okay, this is great. You're able to be in this, you know, this world of philanthropy and give out different kinds of funding, but you really said, you know, that's not really where you found your, your, um, you know, your why, right. It was more about like, right. oh, I like teaching. I like coaching. I like helping build the infrastructure and the capacity. And that's where you really thrive. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the capacity uh, building is important. Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, and we talked about that too before, as far as like SWOT analysis and nonprofit strategic planning and all that. And I love that you also look at that, you know, you're, you're, we're able to talk to each other and have these conversations with that kind of language and understand it, right? Yeah. So, so right. it's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, and looking at these different types of nonprofits. So what would you say, like as a consultant, your, what size nonprofits do you kind of gravitate towards? Is there a certain type of nonprofit that you kind of work with more often than not? Yeah, well, for sure. So like you mentioned, I really love capacity building. Mm -hmm. So my goal as a consultant, sort of just like contracted employees, which is totally great. Like definitely nonprofits need that. Mm -hmm. For me, I don't get my satisfaction from watching myself do a good job. I get satisfaction from like watching other people succeed. So I love going into small mid-sized organizations, like 5 million and less in annual revenue Mm -hmm. and teaching them how to use basic tools to create sustainable marketing and fundraising strategies so that they can get to the next level where they can either hire more employees or consultants who can kind of carry out the bigger work. But in the meantime, they they need to know how to use those skills themselves so that they can grow and get to that point, you know? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So it's kind of that hand in hand. And then you do the DIY stuff, like you said, like online courses. Mm -hmm. There may be people that don't want a direct consultant yeah. you know, which can be a lot more one-on-one work or group work, you know, and then setting aside that specific time, but then they could learn specific systems at least through your, the DIY to help them with that. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's really, really cool. And then you said you, you like to focfocus also on marketing. So you like to do the capacity building, like, okay, let's look at everything. What's working, what's not, how can we get built up? And you know what foundations are looking for, you know, what funding sources are looking for. So you have that as far yeah. as that valued kind of, and just to kind of touch on that real quick, like, like, what are the main things working in that space that foundations mm-hmm. and funding sources are actually specifically looking for when they're looking to fund nonprofits? Right. Well, so one of the biggest things, which I think is, is often overlooked by new nonprofit leaders, especially mm-hmm. like if you've just started a nonprofit, is that 
funding sources, whatever kind of funding sources it is, it is, like whether it's corporate or government or a private foundation or even just individuals with money to give, everyone is looking for a, a real solution to a community issue. So the thing that you need is proof that you are offering that solution to an issue that's actually considered an issue by the community at large. Mm -hmm. So one of the first steps that I, I do with my clients in consulting is the market research step where my background initially was, mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, let's find out if the mission you think you need to serve actually is a need because it might, it might already be covered by another organization. Like they might already be serving this specific cause of homelessness, or they might already be working in conservation in this specific region. And there might be something that's getting in the way of them building their capacity. And so the, the solution to that problem is not then for you to create another nonprofit and compete right. for the same funds. It's to go and partner with that organization and help build their capacity. But on the other hand, if you do see that there's an issue that is not being addressed properly, then in that case, you need to show proof that you are the one that they should give money to, to solve that problem. And so that can look like proof that uh, you have community support because you have over a thousand individual donors. Maybe those individual donors right now only have the capacity to give $5 a month, but you've got over a thousand individual donors or you have key strategic partnerships with larger organizations that already have the public's trust. Mm -hmm. So um, there's this big community center, they're already getting funding from this foundation. And so the foundation obviously trusts them. If they are sponsoring your program, then it's more likely for the foundation to trust you as well, because mm -hmm. they know that they have this long-standing relationship with this community center and they're trustworthy. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest thing I would say to start with is like, proving to to your funder whoever that is that you have the solution for a problem that people as at large believe is a problem mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no i love that and you know it's funny because it, well, it's ironic because I actually have a lot of that too. A lot of people reach out to me and they want to start a nonprofit and they're like, Hey, Holly, like you said, there is homelessness in this area. Like we need to do something about it. Or there's not an after school program for kids and we need to do something mm. about it. And, and the first thing I always do too is say, well, is that true? Like, <laughs> is that really, yeah. you might just not know about it. And because right. a lot of nonprofits and hopefully this is what you can kind of talk on a little bit, they're not marketing very well. So even it, it could be out there, they could be, you know, mm -hmm. existing and serving a niche, but maybe they don't have the full capacity to serve the entire needs of that community. Right. Or there's, they're right. missing a gap. Like they might be having, doing um, food, like a food bank for the homeless, but there's not a homeless uh, shelter, like overnight shelter. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, look, Looking at, well, right. is that really true? One. And if it is, do they have the full capacity? Maybe you just don't know about them. Maybe it's better to partner with them or to see if there's another gap that's not completely being met. And that's where you could right. you know, serve. So, um, absolutely. And I see this a lot. A lot of people have these great, I have a great idea. And it's like, you know, what is that? The old saying is something like, you know, no idea is actually unique. And it's usually like, well, this right. Happening. <laughs> so, right. But yeah. But talking about like that marketing and stuff. And I like that you're taught, you also talked about leveraging. So, leveraging credibility mm -hmm. is super important. And I love that you brought that up because it is really important to say, okay, if I can get, you know, even if it's a thousand dollars, right, from this one 
foundation or this one source or corporation. Yes. Or, you know, if I have a hundred volunteers come in to help like with painting a building or whatever, you know what I mean? Like showing that credibility that people believe in your cause, no matter yeah. what volunteering or funding can really help provide that credibility. So that's super awesome that that's specifically what foundations are looking for. Like, are you serving <laughs> that need? and show it, prove it, because we also know that there's other nonprofits out there. So what are you doing that's different, right? And then who, what kind of credibility do you have, right? So it's, right. it's really showing that. So those are two ways that you can do that, which is fantastic. And then, yeah, so can we just kind of lead in, because I know that you're the market research. The market research, yeah. too, like when you talk about that, when are you like doing needs and strengths assessments or like what kind of research do you do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, it de depends on the nonprofit and also like where they are. So yeah. they, one of the things I always start with is asking if they have a logic model in place, uh, because a lot of times just asking if you have a logic model, if someone looks at you with a blank face, that means they probably haven't done any market research and we need to start at the beginning and we need to do a scan and see like who's in the environment, who's serving what need, what are their logic models? Maybe there are flaws in their logic models. You know, you, you, you don't know. Maybe there are gaps like what you were talking about where, for, for example, in Nashville, there was an after-school program where the numbers of attendance kept dropping and they couldn't figure out, you know, are these kids lazy? It, are their parents like not seeing results and not bringing them? What's the issue? And it was that they had lost a, a bus line that Oh. went to where the after-school program was. And so once they changed the location of the after-school program, their attendance was, was able to go up again. So it's asking those questions and then doing the necessary research. With the size of nonprofits that I work with, market mm -hmm. research is usually pretty small scale because you know, like we, they can't afford the kind of market research that like American Cancer Society can do right. with their, you know, national reach and their huge budget. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is not as scientific as I would, you know, prefer for it to be. We, we can't really do lots of simple random samples, but we can rely on other community supporters to get information about other resources that are available, the needs that people are seeing, doing some convenience surveys, you know, and, and just kind of seeing what needs are. But mm -hmm. then on the other hand, not just on the program side, also seeing, you know, what are best practices that are being implemented by other organizations in your same sector, mm -hmm. maybe in a totally different city, but like what are best practices for getting donations and for getting volunteers or for getting past like these, these laws that are getting in the way of demonstrations that you want to have. And, and then how can we borrow from those instead of just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks? Right, right. That's really mm -hmm. good. And I love that you mentioned, I mean, that's a great tip as far as even if it's not in your neighborhood, look at other case studies around, you know, different states, right. and different regions, and even different parts of the world. You know what I mean? It could leverage, like maybe it makes more sense for certain areas like here on Guam. We don't always just look at what's happening in California, for instance, like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. We'd be more prone to look at what's happening in Hawaii. Right. So it's like, because they're right. also an island and you know what right. I mean? So it's just like looking at things that make sense to you. So you can leverage from different regions, which is great. Like that's great. And then just to keep it small scale, I mean, people can kind of look out and do some surveys on Facebook, like Facebook polls. Like I know that's very yeah. like, you know, like th there's a lot of data though, right. That goes along with that. So it doesn't have to be super complicated. Right. Like if they just want to say, Hey, what's going on in this community 
let's figure it out. So, yeah. And I would say, yes, I mean, I've done quite a bit of Facebook polling in my day for sure, but Mm -hmm. I would say no matter what type of research method you use Mm -hmm. to just keep in mind and be aware of the weaknesses of that method, because like Mm -hmm. I said, you're not able to do a scientific market research scan in most cases if you're a small organization. So if you are doing a Facebook poll, think about like what could be the weaknesses of that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that it's not reaching the demographic that you want to reach because like maybe the poll is in English and you're serving mostly people who speak other languages Mm -hmm. or maybe, um, Maybe you're trying to get the like 18 to 24 crowd and they're not on Facebook, they're on Instagram and TikTok, you know? So just think about no matter what research method you're using, it's going to have blank spots that you're not catching. So just remember what those blank spots are. Right. No, that's, that's really, really good. I know somebody else I was talking to too. They said it was almost a flip side, which I like of that too. It was, um, if you're only doing your research on, on Instagram and, but your demographic are older, like in their sixties or above, like they're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, right. Know where right. your audience is, know where your target yeah. demographic is hanging out. So that's mm-hmm. also really good. Cause you can utilize a lot of these even free, like Facebook polls, Instagram polls, those are all free. They give you a lot of data, but knowing how to use those. So that's really good feedback back on that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then you can kind of get a better idea of what you're doing. Now, what about during this time? Like this is a very unprecedented time. We're in the pandemic and, you know, like looking at, do these things still apply or how can they be kind of different as far as like, you know, maybe doing, um, wanting to serve a different need right now or wanting to kind of grow or branch out just because of your, you know, you're not face-to-face anymore. Your programs have kind of changed. Um, How can you kind of see, you know, and use market research during this this time? Man, that's such a good question. And I think like the first thing that I really want to emphasize, which is something I emphasize all the time on my podcast, is the power of collaboration Mm -hmm. or at the very least cooperation. So, okay, I, my hometown is Nashville, Tennessee, and we kind of got hit with this like one-two punch because we had these horrible tornadoes blow through a couple weeks before the COVID pandemic began in the United States. And so it was like we had major parts of town just totally demolished and disappear, literally disappear because of these horrible tornadoes. And so we've got all these nonprofits who are quick trying to like make a rapid response. And then all of a sudden we've got COVID-19 and it's like highlighting all of these inequities in our systems, in our healthcare, education, everything. And one of the things that was so hard for me as a consultant to watch was all of these nonprofits who had the best of intentions and wanted to do whatever they could to help with whatever resources they had, just make snap decisions about the ways that they were going to help without taking into account how other organizations in the area were also going to to, to try to help and coordinating those resources so that the nonprofits that were in the best locations to help certain areas were getting the resources they needed for that, whereas the other nonprofits maybe had better resources for like telehealth and things like that, and making sure that they were the ones who were using those resources as well, right? Yeah. So fortunately, after a few weeks, there were efforts to sort of coordinate the response to COVID and to the tornado relief. But for a while, it was just kind of madness where it was like yeah. everybody just kind of show up and help 
which I have to say is one of my favorite things about Nashville is like every single person and individual, the first thing they thought after the tornadoes of all the people I knew, it was like, we got to, we got to go volunteer. Like we're not seeing volunteer opportunities online yet. So we've got to just go to the end of the street and see what's needed and just start helping, which is beautiful. Yeah. So amazing. But at an organizational level, we can't be like that. As organizations, we need to coordinate and we need to be posting those volunteer opportunities online. Mm -hmm. We need to be the ones who are out there surveying and seeing what the needs are. And we need to have a working knowledge of what other entities are in the area who can help us help them. You know? No, I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, yeah, it has to be coordinated. And thank God, you know, that's starting to happen. And we're starting to see even um, on the foundation level, like different foundations are coming together so they can pull their funding and then be more specific in how they're giving them out. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's really, yeah, getting to that level, but getting there, having things already kind of built up. So those systems can definitely be something where even if you're like, oh my gosh, I might be, you know, my funding's getting depleted on this side because we're not doing program X. So now you need more than ever to know who else is doing what, right? That market research yeah. can really come in handy now to now kind of activate, right? activate the, the different uh, collaboration like you're talking right. about. So yeah, so these are important in any times, but then can be emphasized or really utilized during really stressful times or pandemics or lack, lack of funding, those sort of things, right? So uh, wonderful. That's good to know. Now let's kind of pivot into, we talked about market research. But you also do a yeah. lot of marketing, which is totally yeah. different, right? So you do like branding. <laughs> yeah. You actually have um, a couple of courses online right now that you're giving a 15% discount to my child yeah. listeners out there. So we're excited about that. But you have nonprofit SEO mini course and you have a silent online guide. So I kind of want to touch on each of these because they're very different. But if we could just first yeah. go into that branding and tie that into the SEO, I think that would be really beneficial for all the listeners out there. And for me, I love learning about this stuff because it's totally, yeah, I, just totally, I think it's so interesting. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you mind first if I um, kind of break down what SEO means? Yes, please. Just in yes. case people don't Go know. Yeah. So probably people have heard SEO is like such a buzzword. It's an acronym for search engine optimization. And so that like is, I don't know who decided that that was the term that we were going to use, but whatever. <laughs> so basically what that means is you want your, your website to be optimized for search engines. So that, like I mentioned with the example, after the Nashville tornadoes and COVID hit, you want people to be able to go to Google and type in, you know, tornado uh, relief efforts, tornado volunteer opportunities, COVID remote volunteer opportunities. And when they type that in, you want your website to be optimized so that your website, your volunteer opportunities, your donation opportunities are showing up on the first page of Google results. Mm -hmm. So That's sort of in a nutshell what SEO means. What it does not mean, I think it's also very important because I have a lot of people who come to me and they think they have great SEO. And the reason is they say, when I go to Google and I type in my organization's name, we pop up as the first search result. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, well, there's two reasons for that. One is because it's the exact phrase, but nobody no, no regular people who are looking for donation and volunteer opportunities are going to, unless they're already a donor or volunteer with you, they're not going to type in your exact name because they don't know your name yet. Right. Right. So that's not really that helpful. Mm -hmm. And second of all, 
everybody's search engine results are tailored and customized based on your cookies. Mm -hmm. So Google looks at your cookies to see which websites have, has this person been browsing? What news stories interest them? What products do they purchase? Where do they live? They look at that kind of information to tailor search results to you and your personality. So chances are, if you work for your nonprofit organization, let's say it's like a food bank. If you work for the Good Hands Food Bank and you type in Good Hands Food Bank, you've probably been to your food bank's website a billion times in the past. Right. And so Google knows that that's what you're trying to find. But if me, Joe Schmo, if I'm over here trying to find food banks or find volunteer opportunities, let's keep it broad. If I'm trying to find volunteer opportunities and I've never searched for your food bank before, you're not gonna pop up in search results for me, Joe Schmo, unless your website is search engine optimized. So mm -hmm. that is the importance of SEO. Right. Yeah, so good. That's so good to break it down that way. Um, that's so, it's done very clearly. Because yeah, I can be like, oh my gosh, like how do I get on, you know, how do I get on that first page of Google, right? And yeah. also, can you, are you able to check it out then if you open up a different browser that you don't usually browse? Because like you said, that one has all your cookies and everything. So how mm -hmm. do you really are able to see what are other people seeing when they go to Google? That's tricky, Holly, because it does kind of neutralize it a little bit if you mm -hmm. use a different browser, but only to some extent because mm -hmm. every computer has a an identification code, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so whatever browser you're using, whatever search engine you're using, whether it's Google, Bing, I, I don't even know the other search engines anymore whatever they are that you're using, you're using it with your computer's ID. And that ID is attached to a location. And that ID can be attached to other things that you've linked it to as well. So at the very, very least, that browser knows where you're located, sometimes down to the zip code. And so it doesn't matter what you search on, your search results are somewhat tailored to okay. whatever you're, you're searching from. And Honestly, the, the best way to know your search engine optimization is to become a customer of Google Ads okay. um, or Google AdWords sometimes mm -hmm. is what it's called. That's something that it's a, it gets a little more technical, but what I'll say is for for-profit companies, it's expensive to do. It's expensive to get Google Ads. It's very mm -hmm. complicated to navigate, but nonprofits can get a, can get a grant for Google Ads it's the Google ad grant. Mm -hmm. um, you can search for it. I ha actually um, have some really good friends at a company called Nonprofit Megaphone that can get you the grant for free. Um, oh, and then that way you can get, yeah. We can share um, in the show notes. So yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're just nonprofitmegaphone.com. They, their CEO's name ironically is Grant. He's He's so, he's so great. He was meant to do this clearly, but so, um, but yeah, so they can get you the Google ad for, grant for free. And then that will give you information on that back end of how you're showing up in terms of different search phrases, keywords, questions, and things like that, and, and give you an idea of where you can improve your SEO. Okay, great. Yeah. Cause that's really important. And then as part of like, just to, to kind of share briefly then to really be able to pop up on Google's first page then, right? So are you putting in different words in your description? Because obviously this is all happening on your website on the back end, right? Yeah. So like, how is that kind of happening? So there's a ton of 
stuff that can contribute to or hurt your SEO. Mm-hmm. And that's why I created the mini course on SEO is because it's a lot to keep track of. I will say there's like about 50% of it you can control and you have some sort of control over what your ranking is. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's 50% that you can't control because everybody else is playing the SEO game too. And so it's it's a competition and 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 also every single individual has personalized search engine results. So that could play for you or against you as well. So basically what I do in the mini course is break down the things that you can control. So one of the things like you mentioned are keywords. So Mm -hmm. this may sound obvious, but I, some people don't know what keywords are. So I want to break that down a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Keywords are the things that people are typing into the search bar on Google. And so you may be thinking like, I have no idea what people are typing into Google, but a lot of it is pretty obvious. Like, okay, let's go back to like my fake food bank, the good hands food bank, right? So the keywords that people might type in would be like food bank or free food, food for the homeless, you know, food for low-income families, or they they might be typing in like volunteer opportunities. That's a really general phrase that you want to make sure is on your website, right? So you mentioned there's a website description. You can find out your website's description by this time. Yeah, I am saying to do this. Mm-hmm. Go to Google, type mm-hmm. in your organization's name, and then your description will be right underneath your organization's website title. So that's description matters. You definitely want your biggest keywords in that description, but do not just like type in a ton of keywords in a row. Like don't just type in food bank. Where can I get food? Food for poor people. Like don't just like start typing in all of the keywords because that's something called keyword stuffing. Mm -hmm. And that makes Google think that you're spamming and that you're just trying to like lure people into this scam website. Okay. So just type like, yeah. So type like a normal person, like type in like good hands food bank is a food bank serving uh, economically disadvantaged people in this county in this state, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you've also got those keywords of location because people obviously they're not going to go to a food bank that's in a county that's, you know, 50 miles away. So then you've got, you know, you've got the keywords, but you sound like a human being. You don't sound like a robot that's trying to scam people. Right. Yeah. And so, people can yeah, understand so that. They're not going to understand all the, the keyword stuffing. Like you said, they're going to be like, huh? Right. If yeah. someone types in food bank near me and then that like whole long list of keywords comes up, they're going to be like, what is that website? And they're not going to click on it. Right. But yeah, so that's a huge thing that matters with mm-hmm. SEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other things that are like, you know, even, even the basics of like, is your website easy to navigate? Mm-hmm. So if people go, say they do click on your website, what Google starts to do is track how long they spend on your homepage, how many links they click in your website and how long they stay on each of those links. Mm -hmm. How often do they come back to your website after that first visit? And the reason Google wants to keep track of that is because they want to know that the keywords you've put on your website are actually accurate and describe what you do. Mm-hmm. So like if someone typed in pet adoption near me and your food bank came up and they clicked on the food bank website, they would probably leave your website within a couple seconds of it loading because they would realize, oh, this is not a place where I can adopt a pet. This is a place where I get food. Right. So you want to make sure that your website is laid out in such a way that people are like, yes, that's what I'm looking for. I need to keep reading and stay on this page for a good 10 minutes mm-hmm. to get the information that I'm looking for. 
so that Google can know like, okay, when people are searching for food banks, this is a good place for them to go. Oh, I love that. And that's, that's also like, don't put keywords in that are just trending just to get people to your site. Right. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> cause then you will have people just bounce cause they're clearly that's not what it is about. And Google doesn't right. like that. Right. <laughs> so. Yes, I know. And that same thing goes for hashtags y'all like, okay, I know we're not even talking about social media right now, but I see that all the time where newer nonprofit people who don't really know anything about marketing. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, let's find like the 20 biggest hashtags that are trending right now on Twitter and just put them all in there. That is marked as spam. So like, yeah. don't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like put out good content that has something to do with your mission. Right. Yeah. It's always like that. I remember back in the day, oh man, back when Facebook first started and all that, and you could buy like, and people would actually sell them and all of that. Like, that's just crazy to think that people did so... that. But they Crazy. would. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's the number of people that are following you. And, you know, thank God we've transitioned to it's organic followers. And even if it's a smaller mm -hmm. number, if they're your niche market, then it's more impactful. Right. So it's the same thing yeah. with those keywords, which that, that's great. So I love that. So make sure that you have a description. So when you do Google your website, make sure that you see that. And if you're not clear on how to do that, um, that's, I know, Part of your course can help you with that so to navigate how to do that and to put in those keywords, right? So yeah, well, I will say the course does not give you a step-by-step -step on how to do the backend stuff yeah. because Every there website. are so <laughs> many different website yeah. hosts. Yeah. So like if you have a WordPress, then that's going to be a different way to edit your website than if you have Wix and that's different than if you have Squarespace and that's different than if you have Weebly. So what I say in my course, and I'll say it again now, is just go to the help pages and search for your question. How do I change my website description? Right. How do I, you know, find my, my keywords? Or how do I change the page title on your specific website hosting platform? Mm -hmm. Because it would have been like a 30 year long course for me That's to true. explain yeah, yeah, like yeah. all of the web hosts. <laughs> so at least it tells you like do this and then it says yeah. Right. Like, you can figure it out on the back end. So yeah, so that's so true that they're all so different. Yeah, yeah, but that's really great because that does make such a big difference and it's not something like we innately know and it's something that kind of changes. So I like that you have that course and really looking at how can I get people to like you develop this great program and everything and you have these opportunities and you want to get donors and yeah. you're like, why isn't it working? I've done the market research. I know it's, you know, needed. And then it's because a lot of times people yeah. aren't seeing you online, right? So you go through all of this, but you need to be seen. So these are simple ways that are very powerful. So I'm so glad you developed this. I'm already like, man, let me get that course. <laughs> so, cause it is, it puts so much work and stuff. It sucks when it's obscure and it's not seen. Right. So this is a way yeah, to yeah. oh, God, get me on the first page of Google. Like, yeah. So that's fantastic. And then you also have your silent online auction or your silent auction online guide. And I love this because it's basically like yeah. saying, Hey, I know we're online right now. And I know you can probably get some items or you might have some items that you can donate. So let's kind of look at how we can generate another stream of income that's relatively simple and relatively passive. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, so you mentioned a great thing, um, which actually is part of the guide. So 
first of all, the, the silent auction, online auction guide, um, it is a step-by-step. Here's exactly how you create a silent auction. Here's how you create an online auction as a fundraiser for your nonprofit. But I love how you mentioned, like, here are some items that I'm not doing anything with, because that is a huge place that people overlook for, for places to get uh, silent auction items. A lot of times when I've worked with nonprofits that are trying to host a silent or an online auction, they're like, okay, let's just list every single business we've ever heard of and just start cold calling and asking for donations. Right, right. And that's a very ineffective way mm-hmm. to get silent auction items. And if you add up the staff time it takes to do that, you're probably not making any money because right. of all of the no's that you're gonna get. A really good place to start for silent auction items are going to your friends, family, and your network and your volunteers and saying like, hey, do you ever have like people give you birthday gifts or Christmas gifts that you never open because it's not your thing? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you you go to people who, um, you, you know, the, the local coffee shop sees you in their store every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, they are much more likely to give you a gift card for a silent auction than if you cold call a reg- like any old restaurant who they don't have a relationship with you and ask them for a gift card. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That said... My silent auction guide comes with a free list of over 140 corporations that are known for giving silent auction items to cold callers. So if you, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. So if you download my silent auction guide, you will get that list and it actually includes links to the instructions for every single one of those corporations, how they prefer to receive your silent auction request. Nice. Okay. That's great. And then how, because a lot of um, nonprofits might be like, well, we've done silent auction. We get it. Like, but we usually do it at our live events. Like how do you do it online? What is the different messaging and how do we actually do that? Yeah. Well, what I love about this is that a lot of nonprofits I, I've tried to convince them for their in-person events to, to get some sort of online bidding software because it helps them increase their silent auction revenue with zero extra effort. Because when you have online bidding, um, then people are automatically notified when their bid has been overcome by someone else. So they don't have to keep walking back and forth the bid sheet to see if somebody has topped their bid. It it sends them notifications, depending on the software you get. Mm-hmm. It can send you text notifications about items that have zero bids. So you can oh. like be like, oh, I want a good steal. And like no one's bid on this. It's not popular. So I'm going to go bid at something and get it for like a low price or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, if, if you just have paper bid sheets, people mm-hmm. may never know that. And that item might go unsold, you know? Right. And then online bidding software also, um, if you get good software, it'll send you messages that are like 10 minutes left. You better go increase your bid. And then also you can't bid with online bidding software without giving your credit card information. So a big problem that that a lot of nonprofits have with in-person silent auctions is that they then have to track down the winners and collect payment. Right. Whereas with online bidding software, the payment is automatically collected from the winner as soon as the silent auction ends. So I've been trying to convince nonprofits for a long time to include online bidding in their silent auctions. And now it's so fun because they're sort of like forced to do it. Yeah. And they're seeing how much more revenue they can make if they have it online. That doesn't mean that in the future when events are allowed to happen again, that you can't have it 
sitting there in person as well, right. but you can make the bids all online so that you can take advantage of those extra revenue opportunities. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I, I love that anyways, and even organizations that I'm a part of, even for um, like meetings, we've really pushed register online, right? Because it helps with the streamlining mm -hmm. when people come in the door, there's not bottleneck. And then, you know, it's just easier to collect payments, all of that. So what kind of, um, yeah, and I love that you're saying, even if you have it there in person, like use this, because if I'm over in the corner and say you're at a gala and you have all these things and you're having a drink and you're talking to someone over here, you might totally forget about the silent auction. Yeah, you want for sure. To but you're like, you know, enjoying the event and you're, you're talking to different yeah. people and, you know, so getting a text message is going to really be powerful in those kind of settings. Yeah. Right. But do you recommend like certain, um, software for that? So mm -hmm. I, in the course, I have a couple options for paid software and a few options for free software, because nice. this is what I will say. And I say it in the course as well. So, you know, you know, if you're not taking notes, then it's in the course, <laughs> but, um, what I would say when you're trying to decide between a free or paid software for your online bidding system, the paid software is really good. If you're a larger organization and you can afford that kind of like extra oomph, yeah. or if you're a small organization, it's good if you need other services as well. So do you also need a peer-to-peer -peer fundraising platform? Do you also need a link on your website where people can donate straight through your website? If you already have other fundraising needs you have too, then often those online bidding uh, software programs, they have good bundled discounts. So you can get everything you need for a discount. But on the other hand, if you're a small nonprofit and you don't need any extra fundraising software, this might be a little bit too expensive of an option right now. And so I have a free, a few free software options um, for smaller nonprofits listed there as well. Mm -hmm. And they aren't going to be as robust. Mm -hmm. So the free versions probably are not going to be texting people reminders that the auction is going to close in 10 minutes. Right. But there's still doing the things like taking uh, the payment off of your plate so you can mm -hmm. get the, the donations straight through the website. Um, they're still offering you the capability to reach a way wider spread of people than an in-person silent auction. Mm -hmm. In person, you can only get the 100 people at your event to bid. Online, you can get all of your supporters to bid. You can get them to share with their friends and family. You can get people who may have different price ranges that they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So for example, like at a gala, like what you were saying, people probably there are only looking at high priced items, right? Mm -hmm. Like you probably don't want to have like, like an electric toothbrush in that silent auction right. because they're yeah. looking for like the vacations and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But if you go online, you can reach all demographics and that electric toothbrush might be something that a smaller or like a college student or somebody who doesn't have that much disposable income needs, like they need a toothbrush anyway, it's in a price range they can afford and they feel like they are contributing in, in the best way that they can toward your mission. 
Right. No, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. So really being able to take this and to say, okay, I want to meet different demographics and just build my branding too. Like, because that's a great way to do that online is to share your message and to share what you're doing and to get it out in a very innovative way. Instead of just saying, Hey, give us money. Here's my GoFundMe page. Like it's very different and you're giving something in return. So it really, you know, it's yeah. So that is another thing that I've talked a lot about with my clients recently is online, your, your spread is just so much greater than at an in-person event. Because at an in-person event, the only reason people go is either because they already know about the organization and they love the mission, or there's a really small percentage of people who go because they hear about the event and it sounds fun. But that's a really small percentage. I would say like 5% of people at your event yeah. are there because they liked the name or the theme or whatever. Yeah. Online, you can get, you can activate your current supporters to cast a wider net and get way more people to come to your online event than they might want to commit an evening for an in-person event mm-hmm. with an organization they don't really know. And those people may not be ready yet to give a donation. They might not know enough about your mission or have enough trust in your organization yet to give you $500, mm-hmm. but they might be willing to give $500 if they know that they're getting this really beautiful piece of art in exchange through the auction, you right. know? Yeah. And it's not just a random auction. It's, you know, serving a cause that they're also interested in. So, right. yeah. So even if it would be 350 from a place that's just an auction that doesn't have the cause behind it. Right. And then versus your nonprofit for what they, they say, okay, I'll spend the five. Right. So I right. love, love that. And it, this is something very um, simple when you have the step-by-step program that you offer. And this is something that you could even have a virtual volunteer help with. Right. So they have the guy. Yes. So it's not necessarily like, Oh, Oh man, it's another thing I have to put on my plate and I'm already doing 20 million things. But what about those volunteers who usually do stuff and answer the phones and are in person and they're like, Hey, we still want to serve, but now we're online. What can we do? So either one of these courses that you have is something that you could get and then say here for your volunteers, right. To really help. Yeah. Yeah. So I love well, that. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's actually something I say in the silent auction course mm-hmm. is that your nonprofit is not ready for a silent auction if you don't have volunteers who can run it for you. Because there is no reason for you to spend paid staff time to run a silent auction because they are so easy and formulaic. Like you can give my guide to anyone Mm -hmm. and they can run your silent auction. They can make the phone calls. They can facilitate picking up items or getting it in the mail. Like your staff does not need to be doing that. Your staff needs to be doing things like you know, making sure your programs are running or creating a seasonal campaign or something like that. Like you need to work on other stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because the guide also talks about how you can empower volunteers to take care of those tasks for you. Mm -hmm. It's great. And then that way you're giving your volunteers back something too, because they're learning something very specific. It's not taking your time to explain it and be like, I don't even have time for volunteers because then that means me managing and micromanaging them. But no, if you give them these courses, then they can run with that. And they're excited to volunteer because they're learning this and this can help them with, you know, other nonprofits to serve or to get, you know, jobs. So say these are students, that's another thing they can put on their resume of knowing how to do these things, which are really powerful. So yeah, definitely 
utilize this for your, your volunteers and your interns. Um, and they can definitely do this online. So I love, I love these courses that you have to offer and all the information. Thanks. Yeah. So just tying it up. So you talked about um, market research, making sure that your nonprofit actually is serving a specific need and you're communicating that and foundations are looking for that. What do you actually do? And they're also looking for credibility. So you talked about that today right. and then moving into the marketing and looking at SEO or search engine optimization and how to implement that on your website. And then how did you get some passive income right now, uh, really um, be able to elevate your volunteers and your interns through doing a silent auction on, on your website and just getting some passive income, right? Getting a new stream of income and generating a more messaging for your nonprofit in an interesting way. So I think all of these, I'm super excited. So you have both of these courses, the nonprofit SEO mini course and the silent online um, auction guide. Those are each $49 right now, but because you're awesome, <laughs> you're my friend, you're giving all the listeners a 15% discount on that. So they have a discount yeah. code. So please go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 122. That's episode 122, guys. Woohoo. All right. So go to, uh, well, yeah, grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 122 and you can get the discount code from Jenny and you can see all the different links that she was talking about today, which are really, really powerful. So amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? So I know they can go yeah, well, on YouTube and see it, but where can they find you if they're listening? Uh -huh. Well, wherever they're listening to your podcast right now, unless it's YouTube, I'm not on YouTube yet. I'm behind the times. Um, for audio podcasts, uh, you can search for the nonprofit Jenny show. And just remember, my name is weird. It's J-E-N-N-I is mm -hmm. how I spell it. And I would love for you to listen to Holly's recent episode about strategic planning. That was so great. I was so glad to have Holly on. Um, and also uh, a recent episode talks about advice for your first virtual event. So if nice. you want even more advice for your first virtual event, you can listen to that. And then I've got lots of other resources on my website, which is nonprofitjenny.com. And again, Jenny is J-E-N-N-I. Great. So those are great places they can find you. You're on basically all the, any, um, any podcast player that people utilize, you're basically there. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And de definitely check it out. She's on LinkedIn. You're on Instagram. I know you, that's where we met right. actually is on Instagram. So really, really yeah. fun. <laughs> so use those hashtags because that's how we found each other. It's through hashtags. <laughs> they do work. Yeah. And people can definitely check it out. So once again, any final words, Jenny, before we sign off today? No, oh, thank you so much for having me, Holly. I really hope that your listeners found this somewhat helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys, um, for those of you who actually do the silent auction, do it online, um, elevate your SEOs and take that to heart and implement the things that Jenny was talking about today, please share it with us. So we would definitely like to see oh, it yes. in the show notes. Um, you can definitely leave a comment on either one of our websites, on iTunes, all of that. Subscribe to her show. It's fantastic. Uh, so the nonprofit Jenny show once again, and J-E-N-N-I. Thanks again, Jenny, for coming on the show. And I think we'll be seeing each other soon. <laughs> yeah, bye for now. Do you want to join the Changemaker Tribe and get courses, downloadable checklists, samples of awarded grants, behind-the-scenes live Q&A with myself and the Tribe, and discounts on grant services? Be sure to join the Changemaker membership at www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash membership. Thank you for listening to this grant writing and funding podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time. For more questions, email Holly at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com or visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com. 